Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Si, senor. Wake up, America. It's Wednesday, March 1st. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Happy March. Thanks so much for making us a part of your morning all across America and around the world at RelevantRadio.com and the Relevant Radio app. On Wednesdays, I always take a brief moment to remind you to pray to St. Joseph, the husband of our Blessed Mother Mary and the foster father of Jesus. He is a powerful intercessor. Go to Joseph. Go to Joseph, especially here in this month of March, which is dedicated to St. Joseph. Now, even though we are midway through the first full week of Lent, there is still time to elevate your Lent this year with just a few minutes each day with Father Rocky's Lenten lessons on the Mass. They're jam-packed with all kinds of interesting facts and teachings to help you learn more about the Mass and about your Catholic faith. See why these bite-sized videos had over a million views just last year. You can sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. You can do it this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. Get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before in the words of Father Rocky. And the good news is they're free. That's relevantradio.com slash Lent. Want to bring in, uh, once again, our Morning Air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines this hour on this first day of March? Well, come April, there'll be a new mayor in Chicago for the first time in some 40 years. An incumbent did not win re-election. Lori Lightfoot conceding last night, finishing third in the mayoral election there with less than 20% of the vote. Top two vote-getters, neither got more than 50%, so there'll be a runoff. In April, and that'll be between Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis and Cook County Commissioner and Teachers Union Organizer Brandon Johnson. But uh, first time in a very long time, John, that an incumbent did not win re-election. Yeah, a very long time. you got to go back uh, to 1983 and Mayor Jane Byrne, who I believe lost to Harold Washington uh, back then. So it really has been a long time since an incumbent mayor uh, loses. This is a big deal. This is the nation's third largest uh, city, uh, a city that's been hit by uh, unbelievable crime in recent years. And I I believe at the end of the day, uh, crime really was uh, the difference in how crime has been uh, dealt with uh, by Mary, Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot and how she hasn't dealt with it has really been uh, the issue. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with the runoff uh, in April. Yeah, between COVID and uh, the George Floyd matter a few years back and, uh, you know, crime on the increase in many parts of the country. Chicago hit especially hard by that. And so uh, here's hoping who's uh, who's in charge, whoever it ends up being, uh, can help solve that problem. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, debated uh, President Biden's student debt uh, cancellation policies. Uh, what's your sense of uh, where the justices are at? Sounds like they're uh, maybe leaning against uh, proving that uh, this has been challenged all the way up to the Supreme Court. President Biden wanting to spend uh, on his own volition there $400 billion to pay off tons of student loan debt for uh, some 26 million people who've already uh, said they'd like that uh, 
to happen to their <laughs> their student loan debt and uh, uh, the Republicans that are challenging uh, in court saying you just can't do that. You can't spend that much money. Uh, the government says, well, it's because of COVID that they were able to do that. And that's the reason. That's what they say. Well, no matter how you look at it, $400 billion with one uh, signature is a whole lot of money. Yeah, it certainly is uh, without uh, congressional debate over that. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how that turns out. Well, uh, you know, one thing, you know, there's some expense in, in getting there, of course, but adopting a pet is a great way to go in terms of getting a pet. As a, as a pet lover yourself, John, you're going to like this story here. A family drove more than 1,200 miles to adopt a dog. Can you imagine that? Great story. A heartwarming story. you got to really, really love uh, dogs um, to drive that far uh, to adopt. Uh, I believe it's a husky. That's right, a little husky uh, with a facial deformity causing a lopsided grin. Adopted by a family in Seattle. Sherry Langston, her kids and dog, made the trek from Seattle to San Diego in a winter storm to pick up the pup they only had seen in pictures. Harvey the Husky immediately caught their family's eye when they saw a post on the San Diego Humane Society's social media site. Langston says she saw that silly grin and knew they had to make the road trip more than 1,200 miles down the coast to San Diego to pick up that new pup, going to some some great efforts. So let's uh, let's hope he's good and loyal and returns the favor, huh? Well, I'm just thinking, I'm not really a dog person, but I've seen enough dog movies to know that when it's the right dog, it just feels right. And if uh, you by chance accidentally leave them somewhere, like uh, two dogs and one cat happened in one family in an, a 90s movie, they will come homeward bound and over field <laughs> and hill and mountain, and they'll make their way back to that backyard because they want to see that family again. So very interesting. I'm glad that this family has found a new uh, pet for their home. This is a great story. Sorry, guys. Uh, It's home because I am an adoptive pet uh, owner. Uh, We adopted our beagle, Blaze, a few years back, and um, he's fit right in, been part of the family since uh, day one, even praised the family rosary across America with us every night. I want to know who's louder in the household. Perhaps we should ask Cindy, whether it's uh, your son, the dog, or yourself there, John. Um, he's got quite a bail. You know, beagles are known for being loud. In fact, uh, when my wife takes him to Joseph's baseball games, she has to keep him in the outfield because he can get a little too loud, distracting the pitcher and the and the batter. Well, I'm glad you clarified there because first when you said he could get a little loud, I thought you meant Joseph Dominic, but then you said the beagle. Okay, good. Oh, yes. Well, let's just, just get a visual there for everyone out there. It's not Joseph Dominic that's uh, wailing during the uh, family rosary across America. Good. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, more uh, doggy stories uh, to come and uh, our best to Harvey the Husky. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Hey, sure thing, John. We uh, begin every hour here on Morning Air, every morning, always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, uh, keeping in mind that every day is a blessing. Every day is a gift. And we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, 
co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can always find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show is our handle. And uh, you can uh, send us an email with your thoughts and comments and story ideas, morningair at relevantradio.com. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. Now, as we work on growing in our relationship uh, with our Lord this Lent, it's a good time to think and to strive to continue to move forward in our spiritual life and not fall for the temptation of being satisfied uh, where we're at spiritually. Much like uh, sports and life, I've often said, if you're not improving, then you're going backwards. In fact, my hero, Pope St. John Paul II, once said, do not be satisfied with mediocrity, which leads us uh, to our next guest. Joining us live is our spiritual director today, Father Marcel Tyone, with much more on how a lack of progress in the spiritual life can actually lead to regression. Father Tyone is the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Uh, he has served for over a decade in vocation ministry for Our Lady of Providence Seminary while being chaplain of Bishop Hendrickson High School, and he's a longtime Relevant Radio and Morning Air contributor. Good morning, Father Tyone. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Great to be with you. Happy March. Happy March and joyful Lent. It's uh, it's a joyful season. We're among us, uh, really. Uh, so happy March, happy Lent, and it's a great topic to talk about prayer and uh, regression and progression. As you said, I think it's uh, it's a great analogy to sports and to every other part of life. Right, we're either getting better or we're getting worse. Uh, there's no we don't just stay still. So it's a great, it's a perfect time of Lent. We're like one plus weekend, and uh, probably time to to test the thermometer. Sometimes we have a great great goals for Lent. Around Mardi Gras, and then by the fifth or sixth day, we might we might just be back to where we what we were doing two weeks ago. And hopefully, that's not the case. Or maybe maybe the show can kind of kickstart us to restart again and to go forward in our prayer lives. Yeah, it's a it's a good idea to to take inventory of where we at. Uh, it's just it's been a week already uh, since Ash Wednesday, and so um, the the question is, uh, how can uh, a lack of progress in the spiritual life actually lead to regression? Well, regression, right? We can regress, right? Just to kind of to go backwards. So maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe we're praying less. Maybe we're praying less vulnerably. Um, sometimes, you know, people get in a habit, a good habit of prayer. We start praying the rosary, but we're just kind of praying it kind of rapidly without maybe much meditation to it, which can be a, a great temptation. And so we're praying the rosary, but maybe regressing on the depth of sort of meditating on the mysteries of the rosary. Sometimes that can happen. Uh, sometimes people just get busy, right? Many people have very busy lives and even retired people are busy sometimes. And it can be hard to kind of set the set the stage to, to really make new times. Lent's about kind of carving new times, new habits, new things to make us more way, maybe new saints, new ways to pray kind of getting out of our own comfort zone in our box to make us grow and to go forward. I always think Lent's a great time to to try something new. You know, sometimes people are trying to learn golf or, or sports. They might change their coach or go to a different 
place to learn or get new techniques and things like that. We might look for new techniques in, in our sports life, um, in running, whatever it might be a hobby people have. Even reading, we try a whole different genre of reading that we're not used to doing, and that can also be in the spiritual life. There's so many great resources out there online and, and in book form, but maybe we kind of step out of our own box. It's still not too late to try to do that, to go forward. So, you know, Pope Benedict was famous to say that we're regressing when you said John Paul II we shouldn't be happy with mediocrity, and, and our prayer lives are the most important part of us, and any one of us, all of us, we should never be satisfied with where we are in our prayer life, our spiritual life. We need to always be kind of asking the Holy Spirit for the gift to progress and uh, and to do that. And again, Lent, Lent is boot camp. It's, uh, it's, it's the time to really have at it. And I always think the beginning of Lent, I'm always better at the beginning of Lent, and how sometimes it can become a trajectory for the rest of Lent till Holy Week. And I think Holy Week always astounds us and confronts us in the best possible way. But I think the second through the, the fifth week of Lent, this is it. We're kind of getting into maybe the, the longest stretch here is about to start. So so it's a great timing for your topic for the show and just to make sure that, that right now we're, we're trying to do something different, something better, and to not regress. And sometimes I find some people have the same Lent every year. It's like putting putting the song back on that we love and we always do the same thing, whether we give the same thing up or do more things, but we have the same thing every year. And that can be a little, not the best, right? It's not a bad thing, but it might not be the best because we even have a routine uh, about our Lenten practices. And sometimes it's good to shake it up and, and try something new. I'm totally with you. I think the good Lord wants us to shake it up and, and do something different uh, so that it doesn't become the same old, same old Um we're talking about going forward, uh, progressing in the spiritual life. If you have any thoughts or uh, a question for Father Tyone, we're taking your calls at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Um, I mentioned uh, my hero, uh, Pope John Paul II, talking about don't be satisfied with mediocrity. Well, Pope Benedict uh, XVI, uh, his uh, successor, also uh, had a, a message for Lent way back in in 2012, in which he encouraged us uh, to grow towards a full maturity in Christ. Um, how can we strive for perfection, even if we can't attain it ever fully uh, while we're here on earth in this life? Well, it's an important thing, right? I remember St. Augustine says some profound words, he who prays well lives well, he who lives well dies well, and he who dies well all is well. So we want to remember like the goal is to get to heaven, to be with Christ forever, but to experience Christ now. And so, yeah, we, we absolutely, you know, Benedict was great to encourage all of us to, to make sure we, we're always growing and to have that maturity of Christ. So it's something that we all have to work at throughout our lives because it's something we never obtain, but that we can understand and desire. So none of us is ever, we're not in heaven on earth, but we can we can taste heaven on earth at Mass, at the Eucharist, and the mercy of confession, doing good works for the poor, forgetting ourselves, shaving down our ego, letting the Holy Spirit overtake our ego and really live freely for Christ and the church and others and not ourselves. And that's ultimately the goal of Lent, right, is to sort of give our whole selves to God, to others, and to the church. And, and we need to do that. So it's, it's an ever-ongoing process. We shouldn't be discouraged if we we maybe had a, a bad first week of Lent or sometimes things happen in life. We get distracted or people have responsibilities and relationships are at work and they can get sort of distracted from their from their goals. But that's the whole point of Benedict. Pope Benedict's telling us not to get discouraged, but, but to keep doing that. And St. Augustine, one of my favorites too, he's, you know, 
he who prays well, prays well is not praying perfectly, but I think that vulnerability, that receptivity, the intimacy with Christ that he wants to have with us, sometimes that can be had, I think, easily in Scripture, just reading a gospel. As Catholics, we're so blessed we get we get the gospel. It's like going to a restaurant and someone serves us a great meal every time we sit down at Mass, we, we get a scripture, and of course we have our Lenten scriptures, Transfiguration this Sunday, an awesome gospel. But sometimes picking up the gospel ourselves, or one of the smaller letters, First John, Second John, but opening up the Word of God and just just being vulnerable to the Lord speaking to us through that. The scripture is Christ speaking to us, and and sometimes I think that that's an easy way to progress instead of regress. Or, um, if you've never done it before, just preparing, like reading the readings before we get to Sunday Mass, especially the Gospel. I always think, what, what would the Lord put on your heart if you were preaching on Sunday? Or what would you, what do you think the Lord's telling you in this particular week by this particular reading? And if we if we take it to prayer before, um, we can do that with relevant radio apps, with USCCB. There's a lot of places today. It's so easy to do that, but to really read through and sometimes reading it out loud to ourselves. If, you, if we read the scripture, the gospel out loud, we kind of hear it and digest it audibly, not just in our minds. So sometimes that can help people pray differently, is it, really reading the scriptures out loud to oneself. Um, praying the rosary out loud, if we don't do that on a walk or something, can also help us kind of sink in the mysteries and, and be a new way to be vulnerable to progress and not regress uh, with the Lord. So just encourage everybody, all of us, including myself, let's let's just keep keep stepping out of the box and, and have a different length this year. The Lord desires to give himself to us. It's always the Father's desire to share his son Jesus with us. Always. That that's that's the nature, the desire of God is to be with you and and to love you and that happens in prayer. So that's what we're talking about. Lent is such a great thing because it's really it's really it's just realizing the Lord's in love with us and letting him share that with us. And who doesn't need that uh, in life? We all need that every day. And and that's what we're talking about here. That's how we progress is that, that encounter and receptivity to the Lord uh, in prayer. And Father Tyone, as a former a sports reporter, I, I always uh, uh, see the the metaphor uh, between Lent and spring training. In so many ways, uh, Lent is like a spiritual spring training, a time to go back uh, to the basics, uh, the basic fundamentals of our faith, uh, you know, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. And it's also not where you start, it's where you finish. You know, we have 40 days, so, uh, you know, let your heart not be troubled if you started out a little slow here in this first week. No, you're right. I think spring training is it, and Lent means springtime, right? It's at the springtime of the year. We might have some winter storms coming around, but that doesn't matter. Um, you know, what is a, and when you're in sports, um, your discipline, your ability to commit to keep working out and trying is as important as your skill. And many people develop skills they didn't even know they had or couldn't have unless they're putting in the time and the effort to be regular, to be when it's when you just stay in it. And that's exactly right. I, I don't think there's a better analogy than sports for, for the spiritual life, for the prayer life. And, and they're very, very similar. And, you know, the re, the results are that. So it's that time of year. I think, you know, we got baseball starting up and basketball's on. And whatever whatever it is, whatever our seizes our imagination to do that. And imagine if, you know, again, soldiers go away to, to training, right? Uh, police officers do it. First responders do it. And certainly moms and dads that have a newborn baby, they're, they're 24-7. They, they, you know, when a child comes into a home, it up, upsets the whole apple cart. And they're in, they're in child rearing training. As soon as that baby's born, 
it changes everything. And the baby is the center of the mom and dad's life. And so too with us, once a time where Christ becomes the center of our life, it's a new, it's it's a new a new day, a new time. So if we see it that way. I, I think we'll get some better ideas, and also um, I think kind of get more excited about it rather than oh no, it's Lent. But Lent is a is a time of joy. So it's springtime, and who doesn't want spring? I don't know many people that I know a lot of people that love winter and some people that hate winter but um, I, I think spring is spring it is so it's a, it's a good time in life 19 more days to spring father uh, Joe is uh, joining us this morning from Warwick Rhode Island uh, good morning Joe you're on with father Tyone good morning how are you doing great thank you very good um, I thought about prayer uh, we Catholics have been taught how to say prayers, but never how to pray. And we've never uh, got the concept that prayer is a very intimate dialogue between the lover and the beloved. Uh, Mm. Most never get beyond saying prayers. And simply to say prayers, it, it becomes stale and boring, and it's very easy to let that discipline slip away. Um... Mm. Your thought. Well, Joe, I think that's the best phone call we could ever get on this topic on any show. <laughs> but an insight into really defining prayer, what it is versus what it isn't. And you're right, right? People, if we know the prayers and we don't even know the theology, who's behind them, but you're you're perfectly right. And I, I think Joe's insight is to all of us, right, that God, God desires to share himself with us. It's a dialogue between the lover, the creator, the created, and the beloved, which is every human person, and uh, and that's true. I think, you know, sometimes I'm I'm always shocked that people, you know, they don't realize the first words of the Hail Mary, the Angel Gabriel, or the Creed. Like reading the Creed on Sunday is so packed. If we read the Catechism, we understand what the Creed means, and the Our Father. Um, when we pray the Our Father, if we really study the words, it's very moving to pray in Our Father. Um, if we actually really meditate on the meaning behind that, I think Joe's inviting us, reminding us that that's what prayer is. So don't get me wrong, when people are just, quote-unquote, saying the prayers, God still uses that. So people that say the rosary very often might not be meditating during it too much. That's still a good thing. We don't want to stop that, right? We don't want to stop saying the words, but we want to find out what the words mean and who we're speaking to and to be able to receive. So, Joe, I thank you for your call. I think that's that's exactly what Pope Benedict, John Paul II, and the Holy Spirit are asking us to understand, and that will make our Lent different. That that's the crux of it all. So, so that was it. That was a, a great thing to ask thoughts about. Thanks for that call. A fantastic call, uh, Joe. A great reminder. I remember uh, that Saint Thomas Aquinas once said that the essence of the spiritual life is friendship with God. That's what it's all about. It's about having that heart. Uh, to heart relationship with our Lord Jesus, and this uh, Joe's uh, reminder is is perfect timing here uh, during Lent. Amen to that. Father, I so much appreciate your perspective. As always, we still got a, a ways to go, long ways to go here in in this Lenten season. But uh, your insights, and I especially love your suggestion of of uh, not just reading the Gospels, but praying the Gospels. Amen. Transfiguration. We can't wait for Sunday, everybody. So let's uh, let's let's dive into that before Sunday.
Thanks again. Father Marcel Tyone, the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, a longtime Relevant Radio and Morning Air contributor. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Pediatric psychologist Dr. Jim Schrader will uh, join us to discuss our tech devices, talk about tech devices and social media, and explain that it's not just how we use them, that's the problem. So stay with us. We are headed down the stretch as Morning Air continues on uh, this first Wednesday of March here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day, this is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. Happy March. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Wednesday morning, the first day of March. Can you believe it? Only 19 more days until spring. It's great to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from Romans 8.28. The Apostle St. Paul writes, We know that in everything God works for good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that all things happen for the good of those who love God. During difficult times, we have to have a spiritual perspective that nothing happens in this world without the will of God. The Lord is the Lord of the universe. Nothing happens without his direct will or his permitting will. This is what we call divine providence, and we have to have that type of faith that our Lord Jesus Christ does not ever abandon us, and he's always with us. So do not hesitate to go to Mary, our mother, who always leads us to her son, Jesus the Lord. We always pray with great confidence from the chapel of divine mercy that drew praise every afternoon. Jesus, I trust in you. Have you uh, ever heard the, the saying, technology isn't the problem, it's how we use it? Uh, although how we use technology might be a big part of the problem, uh, technology and social media is actually designed to be addictive. Uh, why do tech companies pay a, a ton of money to create addictive strategies? How can we put a stop to having an addiction and develop healthy habits when it comes to uh, the use of technology? Joining us live for much more perspective is pediatric psychologist Dr. Jim Schrader uh, to discuss our tech devices and why it's not just how we use them that's the problem. Uh, our number, if again, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Dr. Schrader is a married father of eight, and he's an endurance athlete, the vice president of the Department of Psychology and Wellness at the Easter Seals Rehabilitation Center in Evansville, Indiana. Dr. Schrader is also the author of Confessions of a Carless Commuter and has a new podcast called Living a Whole Christian Life. Good morning, Dr. Schrader. Thanks so much for joining us once again. It's great to be with you on this very first day of March. Yeah, it's great to be March, isn't it? I think we're all ready for spring. We definitely are. Um, this topic is a topic that I think is is important uh, for so many folks, uh, especially uh, parents, um, screens, apps, social media platforms. Um, they're designed to be addictive. Can you talk about... Um, the ways in which these platforms are literally, you know, just pulling us in, you know, sucking us in with their content. 
Yeah. Well, I want to I want to first say that not you know everything I think that's on the device or on the online is designed to be addictive, but increasingly, many things are. And and one of the reasons people ask, well, why is that the case? Well. The reality is that the more you use a device or platform, the more it creates profits related to advertising or direct purchasing, right? So these these companies have a really, really big vested interest in you using particular, <clears throat> excuse me, devices or platforms in a certain way. So here's what happens. Here the, <clears throat> excuse me. Here's how it goes. Is there's three key processes that create addiction. The first is there's a repeated trigger that's used to direct our attention to something. So this trigger might be the ding on your phone, right? Or it might be a reminder that pops up on a particular app. You, you know, you come, become very familiar with that, and that trigger signifies something. The trigger itself, here's the second piece, is linked to a core motivation. These are core motivations that we all have, <clears throat> such as fear of missing out or just the desire to feel pleasure. So when our phone dings we are motivated to respond instantly to either seek out the pleasure or avoid, again, missing out on something, avoiding pain if we do miss out on something. And so we're really motivated. And then the third piece of it that follows is that there's an action that we are kind of trained to do. It's a really simple action. Sometimes it's enjoyable. It's kind of reassuring. It might be clicking on a like button or it might be sending a quick text. And the idea is that over time, all of this, this cycle creates more and more of an addictive response. It's very simple. It's linked to something that's very core. And these triggers, think about how many times you hear that ding on your phone, and there goes a little bit of a dopamine in your brain. That trigger is linked to something that it's difficult to ignore. And uh, there's some folks who uh, purposely uh, keep their phone on silent so they have to deal with those dings, uh, Dr. Schrader. Yeah, there is. You know, the challenge of it is, though, we've found scientifically that even if you keep your phone on silent, right? So let's say you don't hear the ding, you don't hear even if it doesn't vibrate or whatever. We know that having that phone nearby, that your mind has trained, been trained to think about what's coming in on that phone. So I do think it's a good thing that, you know, we turn off the noises. I mean, at least you're not way across the house and you hear the ding there. But the reality is that the closer that phone is to you, we have actually been trained, and again, there's billions and billions of dollars put into doing this, to think about, oh, but maybe I'm getting a text, or maybe, again, you know, if you're, you're on social media regularly, maybe things are coming in. And so it's really, really hard. We have to discipline ourselves a lot to kind of manage um, these very instinctive urges. And um, do, you, do you think that we've really become so conditioned? I mean, just about everybody is, you know, plugged into to, uh, devices in one way or another. And, uh, you know, you, you see that, that, uh, that ding on your phone and you, and you think you're going to miss something. You don't want to miss the latest breaking news, the latest story. And sometimes it's actually a good thing. You know, if, if there's a, a tornado coming, for example, and you're getting something from the National right. Weather Forecast, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Here's the, here's the hard thing about it is that there are certain emergencies and there are certain situations, again, where it's great that we have this instantaneous communication. I mean, you know, like you said, it could, it could theoretically, I mean, in reality, save a life, right? It could do a lot of things to kind of alert us to something. The challenge of it is, is that actually, though, most of our lives is not an emergency. So we think like that. We, we think, oh, but I've got to have my phone at all times because what if, right? There's that what if thought. And I'm not saying that, you know, every now and then the what if thought doesn't come to reality. But the problem is, is we've kind of trained ourselves to think what if constantly. 
when in reality, most of the time what's coming in could really wait well. Like it could be perfectly fine, you know, to kind of wait till the end of the day or later in the day. But we, we've kind of been wired in a way to struggle with that. And um, we'll talk about some ideas, but, you know, I, I think that we really, really have to be intentional. And it's, it's good that we're talking about this during Lent because a lot of people are recognizing that the phones are making them increasingly anxious or that social media is driving more division. You know, that in fact, the chief science officer of the um, American Psychological Association just testified in front of Congress a couple of weeks ago about a lot of the serious, serious concerns with social media and the developing brain of our youth. And so there's just a lot that's emerging that if we're not conscious and intentional, we're really going to get caught in a negative way. In fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, the CDC of all people came out uh, uh, with information recently um, warning, um, especially teenage uh, girls, about some of the dangers of the stuff that's out there, especially like on TikTok, for example. It is really, it is really concerning. You know, the CDC came out recently with a study that said that one third, uh, I think it was teenage girls, had seriously contemplated suicide um, in high school. And that number just in the last five or 10 years has really, really ramped up. And again, you know, social media and tech are not the only reasons. But what we're realizing is that all of this like inundation of information and inundation of like comparing, you know, self to others that's coming through these devices and it's coming through social media is just kind of overwhelming the consciousness, I think, of our youth. And it's one of the reasons why, like, we have a 20-month wait list for our services here, even for those who are in training. Um, we're just, it's, it's time for the general public to recognize that we have to take a much more proactive and primary approach to this. Otherwise, we're really, really going to find ourselves in very dire straits. And here in Lent, uh, there is something that every one of us uh, can do about this this issue. And uh, we need to take a, a short break, but I want to invite our listeners, if you have any thoughts or questions about technology or social media being addictive, uh, maybe you've given up uh, your devices uh, for Lent. Um, you've experienced the anxiety that many are uh, feeling these days uh, with these uh, devices and, and, and technology. If you have any questions for uh, pediatric psychology, Dr. Jim Schrader. We're taking your calls at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We want to uh, talk about some strategies of how to uh, deal uh, with uh, technology on the other side uh, as we continue our uh, conversation with uh, Dr. Jim Schrader. Stay with us. There is much more to come. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air. I'm so is our number if you want to be part of the conversation. We're talking about technology and social media being addictive. Uh, If you've given up... uh, your devices, uh, social media uh, during Lent. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you've experienced anxiety uh, in recent years uh, from uh, what you uh, hear and uh, what you get on social media and uh, your devices, uh, again, uh, give us a call, 888 as we continue our conversation with Morning Air contributor Dr. Jim Schrader, a pediatric psychologist. Uh, Dr. Schrader, uh, let's go back to uh, the uh, 
original uh, question. Um, why do you think that the problem is not just how we are using the technology itself, but the problem is the tech itself? Well, the reason is, is that if you think about it, there are billions and billions of dollars spent every year, and many of it like working with the psychology of people and everything else, to get to get people to use these devices or these platforms as much as possible. And so if that is the goal for much of this, I'm not saying everything, but for much of it, then the reality we have to remember is for a long time we've been saying, oh, we put the onus on us. Like, oh, we just have to use it better. Like, we just, you know what, we just have to figure out better ways and routines and boundaries. And again, that is true. But imagine, like, there's bil- there's a billion, billion dollar industry doing everything possible to pull you into this. And because of that, we have to be honest. We, we really have to say it, it, the tech itself is part of the problem. Like, we can't just keep blaming ourselves and act like that there's not a huge issue here related to how it's designed. And I think that's really, that's the first step to this is actually saying, hey, you know what, I kind of have to, like, like, I guess, work through my own pride and that maybe these devices are so, you know, potentially addictive because of the way they're designed, I've got to take this more seriously. And I, I really think we have to start there. And uh, as, as we uh, talked about at the beginning, uh, you know, we're not saying that, that uh, um, technology in and in of itself is bad because there's a lot of good that we can find uh, on the Internet and our, our devices. I mean, just as an example, uh, you can use uh, your device uh, to download and to uh, watch Father Rocky's Lenten lessons on the Mass here during uh, during Lent, or pray the Family Rosary across America uh, every evening, or pray the Chapel of Divine Mercy in the afternoon with with Drew Mariani. In other words. Technology, if it's used in the right way, uh, can be a really positive, uplifting thing. Yeah, money, if it's used in the right way, can be a real positive thing, right? But money used for its purpose, like, can be turn out to be an evil thing if it becomes greed, right, as the end result. And I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, technology, theoretically, if used well, then it opens up a lot of avenues for, you know, really good things. But but again, in saying this, we have to be aware that the way it's being created oftentimes makes it hard for us to use it well. And so we're coming to the kind of like, I think this seminal point in history where we're thinking, oh, you know, 20 years ago, we had this like massive great promise that technology was going to sweep in and save us all and change everything. And it was all going to be grand. And now, unfortunately, that vision has really been crumbling, you know, and we're realizing it. And so what we do with that going forward is just of paramount importance. Let's talk about uh, what we can do about uh, this issue. Uh, can you share some strategies uh, that uh, we can actually uh, put into play here uh, during Lent uh, to deal uh, with the issue of, uh, of, of technology and social media? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to really, really educate ourselves. And I have a, a ton of people are interested on my website, jamesastrader.com. I probably have 40 or 50 articles and series about technology and pulling in all the science behind it, um, if, you know, in all sorts of different um, areas. So there's a lot of outlets to get some good education. And we have to, we, even when your kids are very young, we have to make sure our kids are really, really intelligent users. We're constantly teaching our kids at home about the tricks of the industry and what they're trying to do and how, you know, again, here's how technology could be used really well, but like here, watch, notice how you're using it yourself and maybe this isn't a healthy way. 
So the first step is we really do have to like treat this almost like a class, like we would other things, and help ourselves and our youth understand like what's going on. That's that's the first thing. The second thing that's really key, and again, this is where we have to kind of acknowledge how potentially addictive these devices are, is we have to set clear boundaries and we've got to stick to them. And here's a very simple one. So I've never had a parent tell me that they think it's good for their teenager to take a phone to bed and leave it on or leave it next to their bed or whatever else. But the reality is that the research shows that about 90% of teens take phones to the bed with them, leaving them on all night. We know that's not good. And actually, we know it's not good even for ourselves as adults. And so if we're really serious about this, what we would do is that everyone charges their phones outside the bedroom, and that includes for adults. And again, that may not be the way that you know, you've know you operated, but if you're serious about like understanding and recognizing how devices can be detrimental, then we have to model this for youth. And we also, as parents, we've got to be, we've got to take some will on this. We've got to really like, you know, not be afraid to be different as parents and say, hey, like, it's not good for your phone to be in there. And so the second thing is we've got to find ways to set very, very clear boundaries and not deviate from them and make excuses about that. Great reminder. Absolutely. Um, Lisa is joining us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Good morning, Lisa. You're on with uh, Dr. Schrader. Oh, thank you. Hey, um, at first I thought you guys were talking about guns. This kind of falls <laughs> in the, uh, you know, category of having guns but being safe using guns. But I wanted to say with the filters and stuff like that, that uh, a lot of when the children are on there, and I, I, I have girlfriends and myself, we'll use a filter and we send out pictures and people are like, oh, my gosh, she looks great that day. But they're, all, you know, fake. Um, could they do more with uh, uh, like having uh, where your phone locks when you go in your room it, or it locks when you're in your car, but you can only use GPS, only use GPS? Um, you know what I mean? It's. I'm wondering if they have that kind of technology where it just locks when it goes in certain places, but you can also, you always use GPS. Yeah, that's a really good question. I appreciate you bringing that up. I do think that the device company, you know, Apple and other companies are getting pressed more and more to try to help parents and others set boundaries. And so there are things emerging. It depends on the device you have or the platform. And some things are, you know, out there that are, I think, helpful to parents in setting these limits. But what we're finding is there's often workarounds, too. You know, the kids are pretty, they're pretty cunning. They're pretty sly about how to work around, like, well, I can't get internet this way, but I can get it another way. And so I do encourage all parents, whether it's filters, whether it's ways that the phones can be limited um, in regards to what access there is. You know, we have, of course, the huge concern about texting and driving that we have to kind of like think about here. So if anything, what we're, I think myself and others are trying to do is we're trying to engage from the ground floor parents. And, and I would argue, by the way, there is no more powerful body in this country than the parent body. If parents want something to happen, they will find a way to make it happen. But if parents are complacent and parents are not willing to really speak up about things that are important, then things will kind of operate status quo, even if it's not healthy. And so I really appreciate, as the caller said, like thinking cr like creatively and critically about what you can do to protect our youth. 
Thanks so much, uh, Lisa. Dr. Schrader, what about uh, fasting from uh, these devices and social media uh, for Lent? Is, is this a possibility or is this, you know, pie in the sky thinking for, for young kids? No, I think it's actually a great idea. And in fact, our youth at home have kind of set some fasting goals um, regards to their tech use too. And I, no, I think that uh, as much as we're struggling with it, you know, even setting small goals around how you use tech is really important. In fact, I'll give you an example. I, I emailed a priest I had met recently over the weekend, and um, we were talking about some outdoor opportunities for our kids. And when I emailed him, his automatic response came back to say that he only checks his email at like 8.30 in the morning and 4.30 in the afternoon. And if you need anything beyond like you know, more immediately, here's the options or whatever available. And I thought, you know what, that is a really great idea. Like, simply put a reminder on your phone, and I've seen this before, or, you know, on your email or whatever else like that to say, hey, like with text, I'm only going to be checking these a couple times a day. Like, I need to, again, pull myself away, whatever you need to do. But we not only have to train ourselves, what I've realized is that, you know, you can do a great, great job of managing your own tech use. But if the people that you know and that interact with you are not on board with how you're using it, they can inundate you in a way <clears throat> excuse me, that makes it really difficult for you to stick with good boundaries. So you have to be again to kind of say to people, hey, I'm kind of pulling back on this usage and here's what, here's what I'm going to do. And, you know, I apologize if it seems inconvenient, but I have to prioritize my health and well-being um, for obvious reasons. Um, Dr. Schrader, a final minute, uh, your, your final thoughts on the importance of this issue. Well, studies have found, I'm going to give an analogy, that teens who start drinking by the age of 14 are over seven times more likely to develop alcohol abuse and dependence than those who wait until they're 21. There's a lot of evidence increasing to say that that study relates very much to tech use. The earlier and earlier we give our kids phones, access to social media, and all sorts of things, we are putting at greater risk for our kids likely to have greater dependence and potential addiction with these tech devices. So if, you, if there's anything I would really consider for parents, again, you have to come together as a, as a unit, as a collective body, just think about these choices that you're making with your kids as they're growing up. And even a year delayed in, in some area can be really, really helpful for them for their entire life. Great discussion. Really appreciate your perspective. Uh, thanks so much uh, for uh, being with us here this morning, uh, Dr. Schrader. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. And that was pediatric psychologist Dr. Jim Schrader. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Whose Light Are You Following? A woman was driving home one night, and the weather was really nasty. Rain was coming down in buckets, and visibility was very poor. Seeing taillights ahead of her, she followed the car in front. Not being able to see, the car in front seemed to be going in the right direction. So she stuck with it, and all of a sudden the car in front of her came to a stop. She began to wonder what had happened. Perhaps the car in front had hit a deer or something like that. She began to feel uncomfortable, thinking being stopped in the middle of the road can often lead to accidents. Much to her alarm, the car in front of her turned off their lights. Her concern was now growing as well as her anger, and then she was startled by a knocking on her window. She looked up, and there was a man standing in the pouring rain wanting to speak to her. She cracked the window open and asked the man what the problem was. The man replied, stating that that was the question he was going to ask her. She retorted that she wasn't the one who had 
stopped in the middle of the road and then turned off the car lights. The man's reply was they were not in the middle of the road, but in his driveway. Obviously, this woman had chosen the wrong leader to follow. She'd chosen a leader who would not take her where she wanted and needed to go. She had chosen the wrong leader and the wrong road. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Powerful scripture, as always. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Remember, you can download any of Glenn's Story Corners or more near conversations that you might want to listen to or share with others online at relevantradio.com or the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Wednesday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, producers Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Thursday on the next Morning Air. The Patrick Madrid Show is next. <laughs>